0: Everybody, so great to have you here today. If this is your first time with us, man, I'm thrilled that you're here. I hope that uh, as the Lord leads you, He'll show you exactly where you want to be. As far as we're concerned, we'd love for you to be here. And I hope that you'll come back and, and, uh, and just be a part of what God is doing here. If you brought your Bibles, go ahead and open to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be spending our time today. Galatians chapter 5. We are cruising right along in our series, Just Jesus, which is a chapter by chapter study through the book of galatians now as you find galatians chapter 5 i would like to show you a picture this morning how many of you know what this is okay you can shout it out if you'd like it's a yo yeah very good very good the other you guys are much more polite than the other two services so far they just shouted out you guys are like oh i know i know what it is yeah it 's a yoke, and, and uh, these things have been around for thousands of years in some variation form. This is kind of like an old school kind of yoke, but but if you spent much time on a farm or spent much time around livestock you 've certainly used devices like these. A, a yoke is just a simple device designed to join two animals of the same kind side by side around the neck and the head area so that these animals will work together to pull the wagon or to pull the plow or whatever happens, you have to be pulling. Um, now, I'm gonna show you another picture. This is uh, what a yoke in action looks like. There are two animals yoked together. Did you think you're gonna hear that phrase today? A yoke in action? This is a yoke in action, two animals together. And, and this is how it, it works. Now, the reason for why a yoke is so important to a farmer is because with this simple device, he can guide and he can control the animals to walk and and move in the direction that he wants them to because they would not willingly serve if they were free. It's not like they're going to say, oh, you need some help today, Farmer Bill, I'll help you. It's not that. There's control involved with the yoke, and that's why this device is important. Now, you may or may not realize this, but this idea of a yoke, it is a significant... um um, illustration it is a significant image that's found in both the old and the new testaments of the bible in fact there's lots of references to this idea of a yoke in scripture let me tell you about a couple of them you don't need to turn there but in leviticus chapter 26 god says this to the israelites he says this verse 13 i am the lord your god who brought you out of egypt So that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. Now listen to what he says next. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. So so God used this imagery of a yoke to describe what the Israelites were before he freed them. They were slaves in in Egypt, and, and after 400 years, God broke them out. It's like God took a big sledgehammer, and he broke the yoke of slavery off their backs, freed them so they could walk around with their heads held high. So God uses this yoke as a way to describe slavery and actually being freed from slavery. Jesus once used the word yoke in a very special way as well. In the book of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And what's he say in the next verse? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Read the next verse together with me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What did Jesus mean by that? What point was he trying to get across? Well, honestly, I I can think of several ways to apply it. But in the context of what Jesus is saying, he's saying this. That you can find rest with me. You can find rest from the heavy burdens and the sorrows that this world can sometimes bring. He refers to a heavy yoke and a light yoke. A heavy yoke is meant that the load is going to be hard to pull. It's going to be hard work. It's very tiresome. A light load, a light yoke. It's just the exact opposite. So Jesus is talking about the freedom that comes from walking side by side with him. It's like saying, you yoke with me, and in life is going to get better. Ultimately, much better. He said, walk with me. I'll take care of you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You yoke with me, and you're going to find that uh, that it's, it's easy. My, my yoke is light. My, my burden is light. I will lift it. Deuteronomy chapter 22, we have another reference to this idea of a yoke. God commanded His people to not unequally yoke two animals together. It was kind of a direct command. It's like, just don't do it. Don't unequally yoke animals. In other words, don't take an ox and yoke it side by side with a donkey. He goes, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Now, common sense tells us uh, that an ox is going to pull more on his side than a donkey. And good luck getting a donkey to walk in a straight line with an ox, okay? It's like these, these animals. Don't don't put two different kinds of animals because you're not going to get that to go the right way. It would be downright impossible. That same illustration is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 or 14 by Paul. But he, he, he applies it differently. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers so he's talking to the church don't be yoked together why not what what does he mean by that because a believer and a non-believer they don't have anything in common the priorities of a believer and a non-believer are completely different they're not meant to walk together but what's the next part of that verse say for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common what can fellowship with light and and have with darkness Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't to love everybody. It doesn't mean we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. Quite the contrary. But the yoke imagery is very strong. A Christian and an unbeliever, they don't walk in step with each other. In fact, they are actually going in two different directions. It's not going to work. And in the larger picture, in the broader context of Scripture, it's calling the church to come out and be separate from the world. Don't try to walk in harmony with the world. We were never meant to walk in harmony with the world. Now, this text is not specifically talking about marriage, but it often gets applied to marriages. And with this, with this challenge, that, that marriage can become a lot more challenging when a Christian and a non-Christian get married. So those are just a few examples of this yoke idea in the Bible. There are plenty of more examples, but the reason I wanted to explain it to you the way I did is because when we come to Galatians chapter 5, Paul is going to draw from this very same illustration of the yoke to try to, to help these Galatian Christians understand the point that he's trying to make. You still got your Bibles open in Galatians chapter five one. Listen to what he says to these Galatian Christians. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by what? By a yoke of slavery. So Paul's giving them a very clear mental image, something that a person living in an agricultural world like these Galatian Christians were would understand. It's clear; it's an unmistakable illustration that this gospel that they're turning to—they're so turning away from the truth and they're following a false gospel. And Paul is saying this false gospel that you are starting to turn to it is leading you into bondage it's leading you into slavery he's like what is saying it's, it's like putting a yoke on your necks and the burden is heavy and it's gonna be tough and it's gonna be tiresome and what Paul is trying to communicate all throughout the letter is that this burden that you think is holy is not holy this, this yoke, this burden that you're feeling, that you think is going to make God approve of you, that's going to make you a good Christian, it doesn't. He's, it's going to lead you into slavery and it's going to wear you out. Now Paul specifically is referencing the burden of the law. This false gospel in these Galatians' minds meant that we had to obey everything within the law. We had to check every box. And if we checked every box and we were good people, that God would look down on us and say, hey, now welcome to the family. And Paul's like, that's like a yoke around your neck. You, you can't carry it. I, I think the, the yoke illustration today does well also to describe the, the bondage and the heavy burden of sin. Who, What we were like before we chose Christ. It's like a yoke of bondage. I think that's kind of a good way to think about it mentally, that people who've yet to follow Christ still have this yoke of sin bondage across. They are not free. They are not free. It's leading them down the wrong road. You do not need to turn there right now, but in the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament, the prophet prophet Isaiah in that book is describing the sins of Israel. And the the God's chosen people at this time of this writing, they were far from Him. They had fallen into sin. And and Jeremiah is describing it. And you come down to chapter 1, verse 14. He says something that's so telling. He says this, My sins have been bound into a yoke. My sins have been bound into a yoke. And and, and that visualized that across your back, even hunched over. This is what sin is. It is like, and I think the prophet Jeremiah's words also very properly describe what sin does to those who have yet to put their faith in Christ. Sin has been bound up in a yoke. They are not free. Which brings us full circle back to the heart of the gospel. Full circle back to the heart of what Galatians chapter 5 is all about. That God wants to break the yoke of sin slavery off your backs. That's at the heart of the gospel. God wants freedom from that for every single person. How does this happen? Well, just like Paul says many times already in this letter, through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, jump to verse 13. I'm not saying that the the verses we're skipping are not important. I just hope you'll go read it on your own. But listen to what he says in verse 13. He, He says this, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Now, now, think about just let that sink in for a minute. He's like saying, don't let the bondage come back over you. Don't voluntarily take on slavery. Why? Because you were born to be free. That's more than just a song. You are called. You are born. You are designed. You were put on this earth not to be a slave. You were put on this earth to be free. And God bought our freedom. Like I said earlier, it's like God took out a big sledgehammer when his son died and rose on the cross and he broke that yoke right off our backs, left pieces of it all over the ground. Free from that stranglehold that sin had us, free from that yoke that was keeping us from entering into God's family. You realize that yoke of sin bondage keeps us out of God's family? He broke it off of there so we could be a part of it. Now when I say something like or we read that scripture that we are called to be free that sounds awesome doesn't it that preaches really well I think I even heard of a faint amen out there somewhere when we read it because it preaches good but do we really know what it is now just walk with me for a minute do we truly understand practically what it means to be set free What does that mean, to be free in our everyday lives? How are we free? What has changed now that God broke the the yoke of sin bondage right off our backs and set us free? What does that actually mean? Because we can agree with it, but not really fully comprehend it, it, how it plays out in our daily lives. Well, there, there's a lot of ways to explain freedom in the, in the Scripture. Staying connected with Galatians, let me see. I'd say there's three, three things that walking in freedom means. Practically every day for you. And I want to share them with us because I want you to leave here today not just saying I am free in Christ, but knowing exactly how you are free and what that means for you. First of all, it's this. When we say we walk in freedom, we're called to be free, it means this. That we are free from the guilt of sin because we have experienced God's forgiveness, free from the guilt of sin. Now, if you're like many Christians, and I would assume many of you are, then you might struggle a little bit with accepting the reality that God truly has forgiven you of all your sins. Now, you do not need to raise your hand with that. I ask you not to. But I'm asking, have you ever really struggled with that? You sometimes, deep down, you wonder, has God really forgiven me? I mean, intellectually, I know what the Bible says, but how do I know for sure that God has really forgiven me? And I think the reason for that struggle usually has something to do with guilt on some level. Guilt of where we've been, guilt of what we've done sometimes we don't think God can forgive us fully because deep down inside we have not forgiven ourselves at all. Like intellectually, I know that God forgave me, but man, I'm still so mad at myself and I'm still wrest with this guilt. I should have never done that, should have never gone there, should have never been with that person, never done this, never done that. I think other times it's because sin often carries with it consequences, consequences that stay with us long after forgiveness has taken place and these consequences often serve as reminders of what life what used to be like. Now I want you to know today that there's not a consequence in the world that God cannot instantly transform into a blessing and I believe he does that. It's what Romans says, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. But sometimes the consequences that followed the our past ways sometimes are still with us and it reminds us and it it brings back to the forefront of what life used to be and that sometimes translates as guilt. Guilt over past sins which have been forgiven is like trying to bend over and pick up those broken pieces of the yoke that God broke off your back and trying to strategically put them back on little by little. That's guilt. But when Paul says we're called to be free... He's talking about the freedom from this kind of guilt. You know, the the Galatians, he said, you're self-imposing this guilt. We do the same thing sometimes. We're just trying to pick up these remnant pieces and put them back on. We have a phrase around here that we say a lot, and I hope all of you that have been around here longer than a month or two know it. It says, God cares more about where you're going than where you've been. That's right. But isn't it true that, that where we've been has remnants? And sometimes they like to follow us around from place to place. So remnants show up in the form of guilt, I believe. Hebrews chapter 8. Well, if you've never read Hebrews, you should go back and read it after you read Galatians. But Hebrews chapter 8 is fantastic. Uh, chapter in the Bible where God is talking about how everything is going to be different under the new covenant. In other words, how everything is going to change and has changed now that Jesus has come. And when you get down to to Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12, this is what the Lord says. He says, in this new covenant with Jesus now, here's what I'm going to do. He says, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Isn't that an awesome verse? I will forgive their wickedness so now that Jesus has come, this is what I'm gonna. This is the promise of God. I'm gonna forgive their wickedness, and I'm gonna forgive their sins. I'm not gonna remember it anymore. And my question for us this morning is: Do you believe them? Do you really believe Him? Freedom, I think, is when God looks at you, and He sees your humble, humble faith in His Son Jesus Christ, and He says, "You're forgiven." And I will remember your sins no more. I actively choose. Like God's saying, I choose not to remember. I choose to remember your faith, not your sin. Welcome to the family. Um, I read a story a while back. Supposedly it's true. I can't verify it, but it's a good story either way. Comes out of the heart of Mexico about a father and son who had a broken relationship. The son's name was Paco. And the story goes that the two got into a heated argument over money. And uh, Paco stormed out saying things, the most awful things about his father. His father said the most awful things about his son. His son stormed out, said, I'll never want to see you again. And so for five years, that's exactly what happened. Year after year, the father, feeling guilty about what happened, just waited for any kind of phone call, any kind of letter, any kind of communication. But it did not come Unbeknownst to the father, Paco, the son, was also feeling the same kind of guilt. He was very upset about the way he treated his father, uh, but he thought, I'll never go back to my dad because he'll never forgive me. The things that I said and the things that I did, and, and, and just they're unforgivable. Eventually, the father's broken heart for his son prompted him to go find him. And he had no idea where his son would be or if he'd even still be in this very large city. Paco had just kind of blended in. He had no idea where his son was. So in desperation, he contacted the local newspaper and he put this ad in the paper. And it just read this, Paco, this is your father. All is forgiven. Meet me in the cathedral at the town square tomorrow at noon. I love you. Now, his father did not want to get his hopes too high. It was a desperate move. But at noon the next day, he went to the cathedral just hoping, upon hope, that his son saw it and came. And upon his arrival at the cathedral, in addition to his own son being there, 43 other young men named Paco also came, <laughs> desiring to be reconciled with their father. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you've got a little Paco in you. Maybe you can relate to him. Even as a Christian, you still carry with you some burden of guilt or shame over things you wish you had never said, over things you wish you had never done, about things you wish you had never gone and never been with. You may feel like right now, even as a Christian, that somehow God holds back on His love for you and holds back on His grace. It's like, like, I like you, but I don't love you. And how could God love me after all that I've done, these remnants of the broken yoke that you start to put back on your shoulders? Friends, if you're feeling today that there's no way that God could love you after you've done what you've done, I want you to know today, as God is my witness, that is a lie right from the depths of hell. Because God said, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember it no more. I think maybe we also need the reminder from the prophet Isaiah who said in, in Isaiah 1 verse 18, he said, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. I don't know this to be a fact, but I kind of feel it in my spirit. That lingering guilt might be an indication that you personally are struggling to accept the incredible level of grace that God's extending to you. And maybe it's more about you than anything. Full acceptance that God loves me, cares about me, doesn't matter where I've been, he cares about where I'm going, and where I'm going is heaven and my eyes are set forth to that more could be said but i think when you talk about what does it look like to, to be a free person to be really free not just intellectually know it but to agree with it i'm freedom it means that we are freedom from the guilt of our sins because we have experienced god's forgiveness here's another way that i think that we walk in freedom it's this free from the penalty of our sin because Christ died for us on the cross. Well, what in the world is the penalty of our sins? What, what does the Bible say? The Bible says this in Romans 6, 23, just one place. It says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. So, you know, the wages of, it's what you've earned. Your sin has earned you death. Just like you have a job and you earn a wage and then you get paid. Well, it's it's the same kind of concept. Your sin has earned you a wage and that wage is death when you know it's the ultimate penalty of sin is the ultimate consequence of sin And when you think back to the garden with Adam and Eve what was the ultimate consequence of their sin introduced in the world it was that they were gonna experience death sin brought death before that they were gonna live forever sin brought death that was the ultimate penalty but faith in Christ replaces that penalty with a gift. Look at the very next part of that verse. For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Faith in Christ replaces the penalty with a gift and that gift is eternal life. That's what we're living for. That's what we've been freed to go to. So when Paul just just, just talks about freedom, freedom from guilt, and freedom from the penalty of sin how does that change your life right now if you could let that sink in and completely absorb that I can live every day of my life free from guilt and free from the penalties of sin it's it's transforming right here's how else that we walk in freedom we are free from the power of sin in our daily lives the power of sin so here's how that works through the Holy Spirit which is Christ living in us. So when Christ ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit descended. And all those who have faith, the Holy Spirit is like a deposit in our hearts awaiting for eternity. So the Holy Spirit in us, when the Holy Spirit is in us, sin no longer has mastery over us. Now does that mean that we're never going to mess up, that we're never going to sin again, even with the Holy Spirit? No, I wish it did though. No, we're going to sin. We're going to mess up because we are an imperfect bunch. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're an imperfect bunch. Even with God's grace, we're an imperfect crowd. But it does mean that the power that sin once had over you is is, is destroyed. It's defeated. It's the sin that once reigned in your life when you were still wearing the the yoke of sin bondage. That you, that that bondage, that power, that, that heaviness it had over you it is not there anymore It doesn't mean you're not going to mess up but it doesn't control you because the because the power of sin is gone in your daily life because it's been replaced by the holy spirit now paul is going to tap into this as well he's going to talk about freedom and that we are called to be free and that you are free from the power of sin look down at verse 16 listen to what he says about it he says so i say walk by the spirit that's what he wants these Galatians to do. Don't walk by the rules of the law and check in boxes and having good religion. That's not what it says. I want you to walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit you are not under the law. I mean, in other words, if you're led by the Spirit, you, you're not bound to keeping rules to earn God's favor. Now, there's a lot of things that we could be said. I mean, these verses, I hope you see, are loaded, but let me just point out something that Paul is highlighting. He said there are two things here that are opposites of each other, and in fact, they're in conflict with each other. Even as a Christian, there's this conflict that, that goes. The, the, the flesh and the Spirit are in conflict with each other. They're at odds. They're moving in two opposite directions. They've got different appetites altogether. What the, the flesh wants and what the spirit desires are completely they, they hunger for different things. So by using the word flesh" in this text, I hope you understand that Paul is not just uh, talking about our bodies alone. He's not saying your, your bodies, the desires of the flesh, he's not re- really meaning your bodies. Our bodies are not sinful, they're neutral our bodies are not sinful in and of themselves they, they are neutral but the body however is going to be controlled by something it's going to be controlled by the desires of the flesh or it's going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit think about it like this a, a gun is neither good nor bad in my opinion a gun is neither good nor bad it's a neutral thing it can be used for good things as well as it can be used for bad things depending on who is controlling that gun Our bodies are like that the human body is not sinful and of itself it's a neutral thing if the Holy Spirit controls the body and we walk with the spirit then, then we're then then it's gonna go that direction but if the flesh the desires of the flesh control the body then we're gonna walk in that we're gonna walk in lust we're gonna walk in selfish desires of the flesh so the spirit and the flesh have two completely different appetites. And this is what creates the conflict that Paul is referring to as we strive to walk in the Spirit. Even as Christians, there is this, and I believe it's right from the pits of the enemy trying to destroy our walk with Jesus. The desires of the flesh and walking by the Spirit, even right now within each and every one of us, is a massive conflict. And sometimes I think our solution, what we think is like, I'm just going to be strong. And I'm just going to stand up to it. And I am just, I'm never going to, I'm just going to stand my ground. And there's a lot of validity to that until you can't. And you mess up. And you pick up a piece of that yoke and you put it back on there in the form of guilt. And you think, man, I must be a loser Christian because I cannot stand up. So what is the answer? I think the solution is not to pit our wills against the flesh, but to surrender our wills completely to the Holy Spirit. I'm not so sure it's about digging our heels in, it's about complete, humble surrender to the Holy Spirit in your life. I think what Paul says next is absolute incredible scripture. Now, I think all scripture is incredible. But man, some scripture just hits me differently. And I, this hits me strong. Paul's going to describe the difference between a free person who's led by the Spirit and the person who's still walking with the yoke of sin, sin slavery on their back. He's going to describe the difference. He's going to say, you know, just so for clarity, let me... Describe what a person who walks in freedom looks like. And let me describe for you somebody who still walks around with the yoke of slavery across their back. Look at Galatians 5.19. Listen to this. This is incredible. He says, "...the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like." I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, let me paint a picture for you of somebody that's still got the yoke across their back. Other parts of the Bible say that they have similar lists like this. And, and, and I love it because they said, and that's what some of you were. Some of you were that way, but you're not that way anymore. But somebody who is guided by the sin of slavery, of the yoke of slavery on their back, this is this is what drives. this is the appetite this is the desires here if you jump down to verse 22 this is what it looks like to be led by the spirit but the fruit of the spirit in other words think of it like a tree and the tree is good and it produces good fruit and what is that fruit so if you are that tree and and you are walking in the spirit it's going to produce this kind of thing Walking in the Spirit produces these kind of fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Some translations say forbearance. Same words, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now see, the, these Galatian Christians, they thought, you know what? My, my, my walking in the rules and obedience to the law, that's what makes God love me. No, no, no. You walk by the Spirit, it's going to produce something else. It's going to produce love, joy, peace, patience, and on. That's what God wants. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. In other words, they've completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit in their life. They've crucified the the flesh, not like this, but by surrender. With all of its passions and desires, since we live by the Spirit, let, let us keep in step with the the Spirit. Friends, when you accepted Christ's call to follow and become a member of God's family, the Lord broke the the yoke sin right off your back. My challenge for you today is to live like it. Live in that freedom. Don't try to pick up the broken pieces that God broke off your back and put them back on and live still in guilt and shame even though you are free and continue to carry the burden even though the Lord set you free. No, no, no. Surrender to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Wake up every day and say, Lord, this is your day and I will do whatever you want me to do. Lord, I humbly walk with you today. Lord, help me see things like you see things. Lord, help me to resist temptation. When the appetite of the flesh rears its ugly head, Lord, help me to surrender all the more to your spirit. Lord, I trust you to conquer that. I ask for your help. Help me to walk with you every day, every moment of that day. Jesus, Jesus said something very similar, and we'll end with this. In John chapter 8, verse 34... Jesus was talking about being free from the bondage of sin and he says this very truly I tell you everyone who sins is a slave now a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever Do you understand the, the imagery Jesus is painting it's like no slave that's got the yoke of slavery across his back can, can enter it's impossible you can't bring that with you into God's family a slave is gonna be a slave but a son can come and be a part of the family, and how do you become a son? God breaks the sin off your back, and you come in in full faith, and you become part of His family. And then Jesus says something incredible here. He says this: If the Son sets you free, if it's Jesus who does it, if it's the Lord through faith in Him that breaks that yoke off your back, if the Son sets you free, then what you are free. Free indeed. Can I pray for you?